You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan, connoisseur of the fancy food, Sachs. All I have seen on your Twitter timeline, my friend, is pictures of very extravagant meals that do not look appealing to me. Well, I have to say, Ben, when I'm posting those photos, it is not with you in mind. You are, you are not my target audience for those photos. That's probably a good plan on your part. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, during uh, lockdown, we've been basically cooking like three meals a day and I have no one to really share them with other than my wife. So I started to decide to to post them to Twitter. So if you're into that, you can follow me on Twitter and see some some photos of food that doesn't appeal to Ben. <laughs> I've also been learning to cook during lockdown, but mine has been much, much more basic. I've been learning to slow cooker cook. All right. Well, what's what's the last meal you cooked? The last meal I cooked, I made a turkey in my slow cooker. How big is your slow cooker? Like a whole turkey? Not, not like it. <laughs> No, no, not a whole turkey. Oh. Like a three, like a three-pound turkey breast, like a frozen turkey breast thing that I bought. Oh, okay, okay. Made some quesadillas. I've made some pulled pork. Yeah, nice. Get, All right, getting the basics down. Nice. I like it. How about uh, your week of magic? How's that going? It's going well. I actually, I have a confession to make, Ethan. I've done some bot drafts this week. I know you got me convinced to do one too. So what's going on with the bot drafts this week? So war is the flavor of the these two weeks, like the week preceding this and the week after we drop this episode is War of the Spark. And I was just feeling a little, little nostalgic. Wanted to, wanted to draft some war. And it brought two things into focus for me. One, the flashback drafts are kind of cool. Like a draft or two of war with the bots was great. Uh, no more than that, I don't think. And two, I'm not quite as confident that Ikoria is the goat. And why is that, Ben? War was great. Eldraine was great. I don't know. I think I think I might just be living in the present moment. Yeah, I, th- I do think for better or worse companions, but I think for worse, the red white cycling deck is the the thing keeping me from calling Akoria the goat. Akoria is really sweet and I'm loving it. I don't know how many I'm like, whatever, 120, 130 drafts deep. And I'm still enjoying myself a lot, but I don't think it's the GOAT. I don't know. I, the cycling thing is a plus to me. I think that's a super interesting part of the format. I don't know. I'm still, I'm pretty bored of like seeing mountain planes on the opposing side of the battlefield. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> just, bored of you it. You just need to get into that deck more, baby, then. No, I'm not forcing that deck. I, I know how to get into that deck. I'm, I'm getting into it just fine. Because like what I'm seeing most of the time is like half good cycling decks 
But even half good cycling decks are kind of oppressive sometimes. I agree. All right. So this week, we're going to sort of break down into two parts, our, our commons in context episode a little bit. So uh, in Theros Beyond Death, we got a lot of good feedback on that episode. That episode was, I think, really important because of how weird that set was in the sense of like there weren't a lot of build arounds. And so the power level of those commons was super flat. We have a different problem here in Aquaria. There's perhaps too many build arounds and too many different ways to think about commons in, in different decks. So we're going to start by breaking down mutate. We're going to have, drum roll please, the great mutate debate of 2020 between me and Ben. We're going to talk about drafting that deck or perhaps not drafting that deck in Ben's case. <laughs> and uh, and then we're going to look at uh, blues, commons, and greens commons in particular. But before we get into any of that, we're going to talk about the Patreon, Ben. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. I want to talk about something from the Patreon that we don't often talk about, which is our stretch goals. So we achieved a stretch goal um, for our total amount per episode a little while back, actually uh, a lot while back, maybe a year and a half ago, where Ben and I do these monthly showdown videos. And we just did one yesterday. Um, so those are up on our YouTube channel. And I don't think there's like content like that out there. Um, so what these are, are, Ben and I join the same draft together, but we record our drafts separately. And then we face off our decks against each other with both hands revealed. You have to hear some like friendly, maybe unfriendly banter between the two of us during the match. And I, I think they're really cool. So we've got a backlog of a bunch of those and we just dropped a new one. That's our second one for Aquaria. We're now doing them on Arena. So perhaps a, a better viewing experience for, for a lot of people out there. So just throwing that out there. There's a lot of cool stuff on our Patreon. We have another stretch goal that we're trying to get to. So if you're interested in more content from us, head on over to patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. You can see what maybe fits into your budget if you want to uh, to give back to the show. And we got, got some perks for you, access to the Discord, a bunch of other stuff there as well. And we also want to shout out your name the first week that you join. So this week we are welcoming Daniel, Max, Kelvin, Jason, Nathaniel, Aubrey, Michael, Thomas, Jaden, Guillaume, and Curtis Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Just had someone message me in the Discord that they made it to Mythic and that our Diamond is Forever episode is super helpful. That sort of stuff is just it's just awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody and really appreciate you listening and supporting the show. Yeah, I'm never going to get sick of people saying stuff like this episode helped, this part of your stream helped, like any of that stuff is so, so good. So you can support our content in many, many ways, not just through the Patreon. That's just one of one of the options you have out there. All right, Ben, uh, we got a draft log here, a little bit of a round table for you to check out. Are you ready to take a seat? I am ready to take a seat. Always want to draft, baby. All right. So pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Commons are kind of clunky. Probably best of the bunch is like Evolving Wilds or Honey Mammoth, honestly. Excuse me, I was going to say clunky. There's a yeah. Honey Mammoth there. <laughs> yeah, I do love me Honey Mammoth. But hope to not first pick it. Uh, of the uncommons, we've got a Regal Leosaur. That's the red-white 2-2 two, two with Mutate 1 Boros Boros. Whenever it mutates, other creatures you control get plus 2 plus 1 until end of turn. Really want to talk about this card for a second, Ben. Primal Empathy. One green blue for the enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you draw a card. If you control a creature with the greatest power among creatures on the battlefield, otherwise put a plus and plus one counter on a creature you control. Here's here's our conversation. Don't put this card in your deck and you will win more, in my opinion. This card is played way too often. I 100% agree with you. I get so much pushback on stream every time I pass this. I bet you don't because you probably never end up in green blue. But <laughs> I find myself in green blue a lot, but never want to 
put this card in my deck. I think we need to just explain a little bit about why this card is bad. Well, there's several things going on there. One, I see this card splash sometimes, which I don't think it is ever correct to do. No hyperbole. Two, the format's really powerful. So there have been a lot of games where you can just ignore your opponent drawing two cards a turn. I think that's something that's true about this format. Like you can let a Thieving Otter go unchecked, or you can let a Primal Empathy go unchecked and still win, which is a testament to the power level of this format. And then three, there's times this card does stone nothing. Either you don't have a creature or you don't have the biggest creature on the battlefield. And yes, like it has built-in insurance to where eventually you're going to have the biggest creature on the battlefield, but that's so slow and so irrelevant for the the amount of powerful things going on in the format. I think people get tripped up because like Colossal Majesty is sort of the original effect or original way we've seen this effect, which was in core sets and it's green. So two and a green. I think at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control a creature with the greatest power, maybe it's power four or greater, you draw a card. Um, and then we saw Furious Rise in Theris Beyond Death, which was probably the best version of that card because it gave you the card back immediately. Like... If your opponent was tapped out, you could play Furious Rise and you knew you were going to draw a card at the beginning of your end step. This effect generally is not good. It's a it's too slow. It's too clunky. It's too reliant on you having to set it up. Primal Empathy in particular, as you're saying, this, this format is very, very powerful. I don't think you can afford to take turn three off to cast this or whatever, turn four, turn five, whenever you want to cast this. I don't think you can afford to do nothing with a card like this. And think about the times where it's basically of one mind and think about the times where it's way worse than that. And I feel like, are you putting of one mind in your mutate decks? Well, in my opinion, you shouldn't be. And so you just like definitely should not be putting this card in your deck. Well, there's also the issue of like green, blue, either you're mutating or you're just trying to not die. One of the two. And Mm -hmm. this doesn't really fall into either of those two strategies, right? You don't want this in a mutate deck because it's not one of your A plus B cards. And it doesn't help you not die. In my green blue deck, no. if I'm not mutating, I don't know what I'm doing if I'm not mutating, but in my heavy green deck, if I'm not mutating, my whole plan for like the first seven turns is just, can I not die so that my better cards can win the game? 100%. So talk about Primal Empathy, but Porky Parrot is up next, three in a red for the three, four, mutate two in a red, and it has tap to deal X damage to any target where X is the number of times this creature has mutated. And then the rare is Dranith Magistrate, the one on a white one, three that hoses companions. Yeah, I love Porky Parrot here, aka Splinter Twin. I think yeah. it is far away the best card in the pack and would snatch it up here. Yep, I did that as well. Pack one, pick two, following cards as options. To stay red, we've got a Pyroceratops, a Gopher Blood, and a Forbidden Friendship, all at common. The other common of note, I would say, is Bushmeat Poacher. In the uncommon slot, we've got a Necropanther, one white black for a 3-3 with Mutate, two Orzov, Orzov. When it mutates, you can return a creature with CMC three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Escape Protocol was once a meme and is now perhaps the dream. This is the one on a blue enchantment. Whenever you cycle a card, you may pay one. When you do, you exile target artifact or creature you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. Have you had a chance to play with this? I have not escaped protocol sleeper darted yet. No. All right. Yeah. And that's something to check off my bucket list at some point for sure. And then the rare is still in the pack. This is Zagoth Triome. That's the Sultai cycling land. It's a super interesting pick. I think Necropanther, Bushmeat Poacher, and Forbidden Friendship are all pretty reasonable here. I'm not sure what I would take because this isn't my draft, and I, you know, I can see the route that you took through the draft, and it's hard to it's hard to put that out of my head. I think if I were presented this pack one, pick two, with no context after taking a Porky Parrot, I think I would be on Bushmeat Poacher myself. Interesting. Can you talk about why? Yeah. So I think I, I really like Red Black. Porky Parrot is at its best 
in red black because mm-hmm. of the the boot nipper machine gun death touch synergy going on there and i think red black really wants bushmeat poacher the dif- the difference between a black grind deck with a bushmeat poacher and without a bushmeat poacher is gigantic and i think i like locking up the first one here Whereas Forbidden Friendship is much more of, okay, I've got a card that makes two bodies. Maybe I've got a Bastion. Maybe I've got a Weaponize. But until I have those cards, it's not a huge priority for me. I just think Bushmeat Poacher is the less replaceable of the two cards. Yeah, that makes a sort of sense to me. I don't love taking a... I don't know. I feel bad taking a black card after Porky Parrot, even though Porky Parrot, as you say, is best in red black. So it's like a pseudo red black gold card. But when there's a really good red follow-up in my opinion i maybe i'm now swung too far in the direction of being high on forbidden friendship i just feel like it it leaves me it makes so many of my future picks better like makes any other mutate cards i take better like it's already good with porky parrot it makes if i get into black it makes butch me poacher better or uh, mutual destruction like i don't know I, I like forbidden friendship a lot yeah i think it's a super close pick so i grabbed that here pack one pick three for your black route you've got a memory leak and a mutual destruction in the pack for my red route there's a forbidden friendship in the pack and a raking clause but definitely take friendship over that and then otherwise we got some mutate goodies there's an essence symbiote at common and a trumpeting gnar that's the one green blue three three that makes three threes when you mutate at uncommon yeah this is another interesting pick here so the best card in the pack is trumpeting gnar right but we're pretty far away from that Uh i think i think it's reasonable to take trumpeting gnar here and say okay maybe this is a signal you know we're on on to pick three here i'm gonna take trumpeting gnar and see if mutates open i don't personally want to do that because i don't really want to be mutate i would much prefer to be red black and we're already down that route mm-hmm. so i think that that leaves me between forbidden friendship and memory leak and i think with your route i'm snapping up a second forbidden friendship and i think i'm feeling great with my route after taking the bushmeat poacher i think i would follow it up with memory leak to get a little deeper into black and see if these friendships wheel or where where the draft goes from here for me i, I imagine you don't think friendships should wheel but are, has that been your experience of late I think they're like, I don't know, 50% to wheel. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Just depends on how many people are in the go wide deck and how many people know how good the card is. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I grabbed Forbidden Friendship here and we'll talk about why I didn't think Trumpeting Gnar was powerful enough to take. I'm I'm a little lower on that card, but we'll, we'll not spoil that until we get to our mutate debate. So yeah, I sort of stayed on rails for red, grabbed a Blitz of the Thunder Raptor next, then took a Thieving Otter because that's got some synergy with uh, with the Porky Parrot as well. And I did end up in a pretty sweet red-blue like sort of spells cycling deck. Yeah, sounds sweet. It, it was so funny. You posted a deck on Twitter yesterday that trophied that had like Yadaro and Riel. And I was like, this is eerily similar to this deck that I drafted. <laughs> of this round table. Yeah, we drafted almost the same deck it was really strange. Yeah. All right, Ben. So let's break down mutate here. Personally, I feel like it's a misunderstood mechanic. Um, I don't think it's misunderstood by you. I think we just have different takes or different experiences on it. And I think that'll hopefully lead to some interesting discussion for this episode. For sure. I think there are a few key things to think about mutate cards, decks and play patterns that I want to highlight here. First off, um, I think mutate decks are the second most column A, column B decks in the format. Like certainly you can have a mutate package, but eventually you get to a point where if you have a a, a quote unquote mutate deck, you really want it to be 
mutate creatures and creatures that are good to mutate onto, and then not much else in between. So I basically am always taking mutate creatures over the enablers, assuming that I, I can get my hands on whatever one and two drops that are around. Because I think that besides Polywog Symbiote being the best enabler and Aegis Turtle being the worst enabler, most of the ones and twos are pretty interchangeable. You'd love them to provide like a counter or an ability to the mutate stack like Glimmerbell, Bootnipper, Brushwag, Mysterious Egg, Essence Symbiote, but they all do a similar job. So let me ask you a few questions here. Yeah. These are just some things I've seen from mutate decks out of people. Is there a ratio of enablers to mutators that you're looking for? Like how, how many of those, you know, cheap one and two drop creatures do you want if you're in a very heavy mutate deck? So one of the reasons that I talk about one and twos being important is for uh, there are a couple of reasons why I talk about one and twos being important and not three drops, even though most of the mutate stuff happens at four CMC or higher. So one of the things is that you, you're losing something when you mutate, right? You're, you're losing board presence. And so you're hoping to make up for that by the mutate effect or perhaps what the creature you mutate onto gives you as an effect. But you have to recognize that you're losing something. And you lose less by mutating onto a one or a two drop than you do by mutating onto like a Grim Dancer or an Excavation Mole. Like you're, if you think about mutate in a sense as like, and like an effect plus an aura boost, right? Like a boost of power and toughness, plus maybe an ability word, plus some sort of ETB effect. Like, I think that's a good way to think about mutate. And then you don't just get got by instant speed removal because the creature resolves anyway. So I think ones and twos are better because like, it's way better to go like, hey, I've got my Glimmer Bell and then I'm going to slap on a Cloud Piercer because now that's giving me a rummage and it's also giving me plus four plus one to the creature, right? So that's a, a huge boost. Whereas if I do that to an Excavation Mole or a Grim Dancer, I'm getting plus two plus one. And so I'm losing more stats than I am when I mutate onto a one or a two. And the other thing, and this is sort of going to be, I think, the crux of our debate, or perhaps the crux of our differences, is I think about ones and twos, because oftentimes when I'm in a green-based mutate deck, migratory Greathorn is sort of like the key there. I'm really hoping to curve into Greathorn on three. And so I want to make sure I have ones and twos in that deck. And so my, my made-up heuristic is that I want a minimum of five one and two drops in those decks that I can mutate onto. Okay, I, I agree. But I feel like I oftentimes see mutate decks with too many one and two drops. Do you think that's a thing? That could definitely be a thing. It depends on what we're... It, there's more to this conversation, obviously, about those decks that you're talking about because I think, yes, you don't want your ones and twos to be junk without mutates. So like you don't want to have... I would, I would just say you're probably not a mutate deck if you've got like eight enablers and four payoffs like something went awry there perhaps you need to adjust your pick order like perhaps you one of the reasons that the deck i think relies or or likes migratory Greyhorn so much is that you want to be able to freely pick up the cavern whispers and the cloud piercers and even the vulpikeets of the world and feel like you can cast them because the mutate creatures are harder to come by than the mutate enablers. Right. So I think this is just a good time to get into talking about migratory Greathorn. So we, we had this conversation sort of off podcast, but I think it's a, an important conversation to have. So you're ending up in mutate way more than I am. And I think it, it boils down to where you're picking migratory Greathorn. Can, so can you speak to that pick order just a little bit for you? Yeah, so uh, I think I, I alluded to this, or perhaps <laughs> perhaps even explicitly said last week that I think Migratory Greathorn is the best green common. Um, I am taking it over Essence Symbiote or Ram Through or whatever, and I think because it really does is the the piece that ties the green 
mutate decks together. I, I talked about it last week as like the Venn diagram of what green can do. In my opinion, the two best things that green does is mutate and splash and migratory Greathorn does both of those things the best. It starts your mutate chain off really well. Like there's not a lot of good stuff that mutates on three, like Porcuparrot mutates on three, Insatiable Hemophage, like Huntmaster Liger. There's, but those aren't really good. Like Porcuparrot is great on three onto a boot nipper. But other than that, you're not hoping, you're hoping that Porcuparrot comes down if it's not on death touch to be able to deal two damage, maybe three damage or, or whatever, or, or you're, you're mutating it on three so you can pick off an X one. But Migratory Greathorn starts the chain pretty hard. Like you put it on three, then you're ramping. And now on, now on turn four, you have five mana available and you can mutate you know, maybe something even larger, you get to now mutate something that costs four or five, whatever. And it enables your splashes. And I think is like the best thing to do on three in those decks. And that leads me to want the ones and the twos. So that's my feeling about Migratory Greathorn. You know, it's like a, it's a three mana rampant growth as an aura with significant future upside is sort of how I think about it. But perhaps that's just the optimistic in me. No, I think that's good. And I think that's true about Migratory Greathorn. I think it's the only mutate card that mutates on three that is impactful on the course of the game at that point, right? None of those other ones do you care about mutating on three except the except the Porky Parrot Boot Nipper, but Greathorn does, certainly in the context that you're talking about it in. Mm-hmm. So I don't have it that high because I don't want to end up in mutate, right? Like I, I could do the thing that you're doing, right? And move Greathorn up in my pick order. And I think what that would do is cause me to end up in mutate more, which is not something I desire to do because I think it's less powerful than a lot of the Mardu-based decks. So like I think at its crux, because you have Migratory Greathorn as high in your green pick order as you do, and I think you've just got it higher in general than I do as well. Like I gave you some other examples. So let me let me fire some off at you here for the listeners. Would you take Greathorn or Capture Sphere? Greathorn. Right. And I, I would be on Capture Sphere there. Would you take Greathorn or Pacifism? Greathorn. And I would take Pacifism, like Greathorn or Rock Slide. Great horn. <laughs> right. So like that's where that's where the line and I'm I'm on all those other cars because like while they might not be as high in their respective colors pick orders, I just want to end up in those colors more. So I'm willing to take those cards over Great Horn and even over other cards like Ram Through or whatever, mm-hmm. so that I don't end up in green mutate decks a lot. That being said, I have I was looking through my MTGO data and I've never played a mutate deck on MTGO. Wow. But I I have on Arena, and I've played a really good blue-green mutate deck, and I, I get it. And I do understand like what you're saying with Great Horn, where taking it as the best green common lets you get into mutate a lot. That's just not something I particularly want to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say, well, you should, because like you're having success. And I don't think, like our deck rankings, I think, still stand for me from last week, where I don't think that you can put this in that the top three where we had it's really just all red decks. It's red, white cycling. And then it's red X, you know, either go wide or spells or whatever. And then it's some version of Mardu, whether it's white, black or black, red really being the best um, in terms of like humans and sacrifice and grind. Those are all decks that rely basically on commons. If you end up with a mutate deck that's mostly commons, your deck is bad. This is, in my mind, the green-based mutate decks where Greathorn is good is the decks that we talk about in a lot of the formats that are the decks that are just like, my mana is going to be great, and I'm going to get to take all the good uncommon and rare mutate creatures I see, the best common mutate creatures I see, and I'm going to get to take all the like great removal that I see and any busted rares that people want to pass me. I agree 100%. So let me float this 
concept by you and see see what you think about it, or the statement, whether you think it's true or false. I think a good mutate deck only gets supported by one drafter at the table. I think if you're fighting over the uncommon mutate cards, neither person is going to have a good deck. And then also along with that, I think most of the world is more willing to draft mutate. So I think you're competing with people for mutate when it's not an archetype that should be competed for. That That's, I think, why I'm steering away from it. That seems fair. I don't feel like I have a, a way to refute that in any real sense. So yeah, I think that's fair. I, I My one, my one like but or caveat to that would be, I think that if we're talking about a dedicated mutate deck, yes. But then I do think there are, you know, we have one dedicated mutate deck. That doesn't mean that there can't be a couple other people at the table that have mutate packages in their deck. I agree 100%. And so like, that's where there's the that's the difference to me, like I end up with a mutate package much more frequently. Because I, I want, you know, Archipelago to push me down that road. I want Chittering Harvester to push me down that road. Or I want one of the rare mutators to push me down that road. Mm-hmm. Whereas it sounds like you're letting Great Horn be an avenue into just being the mutate drafter for you. And I think it's like, and we're both having a lot of success in the format. I don't think one's better than the other. But I think that's the difference in why you're ending up in mute. I think Great Horn itself is the difference in why you're ending up in mutate way more than I am. I think that's true. And I, I think that I'm seeing it as a payoff. For the deck at common so that's one of the reasons that i value it so highly but i'm also not like i feel like i am responsibly getting into that deck with the card and not going all right great horn now we're doing it you know like i i recognize that the deck needs more than that great horn is just such a great you know bridge from the early game into the mid game it's such a great explosive start for the deck that i recognize what it can do but i'm not just going like all in on great horns and like fingers crossed like i I, i'm gonna be aware of what i'm seeing getting past to me i agree great horn at common is what polywog symbiote is at uncommon right it's it's like the best thing to do to make the deck be explosive and to be very and to be very powerful because it gets the chain started on turn three for mutate stacks and it lets you splash all the best mutate cards of the non-blue and green colors pretty freely Mm -hmm. yeah so i want to get into talking about the cards that exist and, and sort of how you i think want to think about the mutate cards that you're drafting and then the play patterns of it because i i think i see people stumble on the opposite side of the battlefield a lot in terms of just feeling like you just feel like you should be mutating a lot when you shouldn't or maybe you don't mutate or the sequencing of the cards that you're playing like are are you stacking these in the way what's better is it better to get them to discard two over the next two turns or is it better for me to draw two over the next two turns it's just a lot of important stuff to think about so i think the deck has some some difficulties in piloting or in drafting that i want to get into I agree 100%. The amount of times my opponents have either mutated or not mutated, and I've thought, whew, you know, thank God they did that instead of doing the other thing is Mm -hmm. a lot. So you want to think about the mutate creatures that are just good on their own slash don't need maximum mutate creatures versus the ones that are best on a mutate stack. So I'm going to jump ahead in our show notes here just a little bit. I want to talk about the cards that I think are best on a stack. Uh, Auspicious Starx, I think, is the best of the bunch. So if we think about probably the two best mutate creatures at non-rare, it's Archipelago and Auspicious Starx. And it's not really close for me in terms of what I would take pack one, pick one, because Archipelago is just good on its own. Right? I mean, it's good. You need a creature to mutate onto it. But a hasty six mana, seven, seven Frostlinks is going to end the game. Archipelago does not 
need you to have something else to mutate. You don't need any other mutate creatures in your deck. You just need stuff to mutate onto. Now, Auspicious Starks, on the other hand, sure, a five mana 6-6 six, six is good, but this is best in a deck that threatens to have this effect happen two or more times. If you mutate it onto something, get the whatever, you flip a land most likely or something. But then if you threaten to untap and do that again, or if you're doing it onto a creature that's already mutated and you're getting two cards off of it, that's when this card is busted. And so I think that's sort of where the, the break is for me um, between those two cards. And then I sort of start to think about other cards falling into the, hey, is this just like good to mutate once and just like a good creature to cast? Like a seven mana seven, seven isn't embarrassing to cast. Obviously you hope to mutate it versus Star X where I'm like, I, I really just want this in a heavy mutate deck. And if I don't have that, I'm not happy with the card. Right. I agree 100%. Archipelagor, you don't, you'll end up with non-creatures to mutate onto. You don't need to put whatever, you know, the egg in your deck to mutate. You're fine mutating onto a Frost Links or a three drop or whatever. It might cause you to want to include an extra Glimmer Bell just because the 7-7 seven, seven flying is so good, but it stands on its own. And Starx really does need to be in a heavy mutate deck to shine. You want to be stacking for sure. Yeah. I put Chittering Harvester in this category as well. This The Starx category of best on a stack Obviously, it's also good in conjunction with a lot of removal. That's where edicts are best. But this card is best usually when you get the first sacrifice. You know, maybe they got a token sitting around. Maybe they just got a two drop that's not doing anything. When you threaten to do this a second time, that's when the card is really starting to do its work. So Harvester is another card that's very good on a stack. And, and the last card here that I have that I think is best on a stack is Trumpeting Nar. This is a card that I think is misunderstood. It's best in a mutate heavy deck. It's best in a blue green base deck because really what you want is to play this on three so that when you mutate onto it, it's just like it's just replacing itself immediately. When you think about it as, oh, well, I can put this in my blue red deck and it costs five, that's usually not great. I mean, I guess the best case scenario for that is like you're mutating onto a glimmer bell and then you're getting five mana, three, three plus a plus two plus one aura on your flyer, which is like, that's something. But this is, again, this is best when it, you threaten to get a three, three every single time you mutate. Right. You want this to be the bottom of the stack. Exactly. Yes. And I don't, so I, like Trumpeting Gnar is great in blue green and I don't think is great in like green black mutate or blue red mutate i think it, it wants to be your three drop and i think blue green mutate is blue green base mutate is the best mutate yes 100 percent agree that's where that's where the deck is most explosive so you also want to think about valuing creatures that are just good on their own versus creatures that you would be really unhappy to hard cast so like Porky Parrot in that draft that we did because I ended up I ended up in a base spells like card draw deck as I talked about like I had Riel and I had Yadaro and in that deck I ended up cutting Glimmer Bell Porky Parrot and Thieving Otter because I was like those three cards are cute together right Glimmer Bell and Porky Parrot is like a two mana machine gun Porky Parrot plus Thieving Otter is a cute thing because Thieving Otter can just deal damage to the opponent with Porky Parrot and then you draw but I just didn't feel like that fit in my deck. So I took out that little package like Porky Parrot on its own is embarrassing. Glimmer Bell without mutate creatures is not great, right? Like, so you want those pieces to work well together. Do you remember when Hill Giant was okay and limited? Those were the days, right? Those were the days. Yeah, not not anymore. We don't even want a four mana three four. I also think you don't want to be dropping mutate effects that are strict auras. You want spell effects as well, right? So if we look at, at the cards that I think that about that are basically just auras, I would put like Vulpakeet and Glowstone Recluse at the top of that pile. Like these are just plus one, plus one and flying, or, or maybe like, you know, plus two, plus three and flying, plus two, plus two and reach. Like these are really just giving you aura effects. 
and aren't great in my opinion. Yeah, you really don't want those until you're going hard on mutate. Mm -hmm. And then also think about if you're getting some sort of you know keyword ability from the creature. So you know, Dreamtail Heron, you're getting draw a card, bonus of flying, maybe bonus of stats. Cavern Whisperer, you're getting discard plus bonus of menace. Pouncing Shore Shark is an unsummon effect. Cloud Piercer is a rummage effect, but a bonus of reach. You know, the way I'm thinking about Migratory Greathorn as rampant growth and an aura with future potential. Your, you know, Chittering Harvester is your Edict. Boneyard Lurker is your regrow a permanent. Lordrakis is your regrow a spell. Necropanther is like your pseudo call the Death Dweller because it's putting the three CMC or less into play. And Trumpeting Nar is like your pseudo call of the herd, whatever, make a 3 3 token. So those all are the ones that like give you a tangible effect that, like, I mean, aside from. Cloud Piercer's Rummage, those are all spells we've seen. Regrow a permanent, sacrifice a creature, draw a card, discard a card, whatever. And I think of those that we talked about there, there are two that really, actually three that really stand out as wanting to be on a stack to me. Boneyard Lurker, Lordrakis, and Necropanther, mm-hmm. I think are all all very good on a mutate stack. I agree. And I think probably like best on its own of those cards is Cavern Whisperer. It's it's interesting to me that I think at the start of the format, we were like, oh man, Dreamtail Heron is nuts. This is like the new five mana, three, four flyer. It's so good. And Cavern Whisperer, we maybe weren't as excited about, or we're like, yeah, this is good. This is rock solid. I think Cavern Whisperer is very oppressive. The difference between four power and three power is big. Honestly, making your opponent discard cards over the course of two turns, like if you do this turn four and then mutate again on five, that feels way more backbreaking than you drawing two cards with Dreamtail Heron over those two turns. Um, and Menace often feels as evasive as flying. Right. I, I think both Cloud Piercer and Cavern Whisperer stand on their own very well. Right, because they're also just like, yeah, five mana, five, four reach, five mana, four, four menace. That's great. Five mana, three, four flying, less good. Less good. And certainly that's why red black often has mutate packages too, right? Yes. Because forbidden forbidden friendship plus either one of these creatures is such a huge upgrade. Yeah. And then just like getting a free, you know, rummage outlet through the cloud piercer, having slight menace synergies in that red black deck to make Cavern Whisper even better. Yeah. I mean, I could I could sing the praises of red black all day. This is green blue though. We got it. We got it. Okay, we sorry, got sorry, fo- sorry. We got to focus. Focus up here. So then, just just to round out this list of cards uh, and mutate that are more niche and don't replace themselves, they go in specific archetypes. Slash, once you have a critical mass of mutate, like if you're in this green based mutate deck that has, I'd say six or more mutate creatures. If you, as long as you've shored up your, hey, I've got my five ones and twos that I can mutate onto. At a certain point, you're just like, literally anything that says mutate on it is good because it's going to make all of those stack cards be maximized. So it's going to make your Starix, your Harvester, your Trumpeting Gnar, et cetera, really, really good. So Regal Leosaur slash Huntmaster Liger. These, I do believe there is a very niche white X mutate go wide deck or a, you know, a white red deck that doesn't get there on cycling, has maybe a cycling package, is more doing mutate stuff. It takes advantage of fight as one, whatever. These cards needed to, those cards needed to pump themselves. They really did. It's such a shame because like they have haste, right? They're mutating. They have haste. Why don't they pump themselves? It's a bummer. Uh, Majestic Oracorn, really only going in a Vigilance deck. But again, it's super splashable in the green-based mutate decks if you're caring about a stack. Uh, Porky Parrot, you really want to be thinking about do I have Death Touch or do I have Glimmer Bell? Because outside of that, it's going to be suboptimal. We talked about Vulpakeet, Glowstone Recluse as really being pseudo auras. And then again, Insatiable Hemophage, I would think about as just being good with Porky Parrot. Yeah, that all makes 100% sense to me. 
And then my last point here about Mutate is that I think Curve Out Mutate decks are the ideal for me, but those decks are disruptable. Make sure you're really considering every Mutate as a decision of whether or not it's worth reducing your board. Try and think about the future turns. And that's just one of the reasons that Polywog Symbiote and Migratory Greathorn are so good is because those let you do the most explosive things and get you out of range of being disrupted by... Uh, most cards. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. So talking about mutate in general, you know, like these curve out mutate decks versus mutate packages. Mm -hmm. I almost think in some ways, just stuff like Cloud Piercer and Cavern Whisperer, not to go back to singing the praises of Red Black, but that that plus a, a minor mutate package is safer and almost as powerful as, you know, the mutate stack deck, because you don't always get to do the mutate stack thing and Cavern Whisperer plus Cloud Piercer gives you that similar tempo boost and especially there's there's ways to do it without a lot of tempo loss like with forbidden friendship specifically mm -hmm. i think those two cards are pretty powerful i yeah i agree I, and again i just think it goes back to the point that i feel like i want to hit home again from our deck rankings is that that's a deck or that's a package in a deck that relies on commons and what i'm talking about is a deck that's taking advantage of the power level at uncommon and rare and so if, if just to, to go back to Great Horn for a second, yeah, just thinking about how you're getting into the deck, because obviously I'm not I'm not getting into the deck because I'm fighting getting into the deck on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But where's the point where you feel like, OK, great, I'm doing it. Like, can you like if you pack one, pick one migratory Great Horn and you don't see, you know, Archipelago or Auspicious Starix in the first four or five picks, are you still going down that route? I mean, that's such an abstract question. I yeah, because like the. It's hard for me to imagine pack one pick one in Migratory Greathorn because you're describing a pack where there isn't a good rare, there isn't a good uncommon build around, yeah, right. and That's there isn't premium example. removal. Like, so <laughs> yeah, right. it's, it's hard to imagine that being the case. But it is a sense of if I do, if I have a powerful first pick or I have, you know, let's say I, I have two maybe synergy pieces or like synergy build arounds that the Greathorn can help overlap. Like if I can be like, yeah, well, I can get into a mutate deck where I take advantage of this mutate payoff that I picked, this Starks or whatever. But then I also maybe get to take like play this alert heat bonder and have a like mini vigilance package or whatever. And then Moscow Goriak and main serval aren't bad to mutate onto, etc. Like then I'm excited to be like, I feel like Great Horn is the rug that ties the room together. Right. So here's 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 a better example. Here's a here's a way to frame this, I think, to to make my question make more sense. So let's say you start with Chittering Harvester. Yes. And then in the first, I don't know, five picks, you've got a couple great horns. Uh huh. Like, how does that equate to you to starting a draft with a Valiant Rescuer and then like having a couple one CMC cyclers, but not seeing a lot of the other payoffs? Are there like alarm bells going off at that point? Like, hey, maybe I should be trying to get out of mutate because if I'm doing cycling and I have Rescuer and I've picked a couple one CMC cyclers, but I haven't seen, you know, another uncommon payoff and I haven't seen a snare tactician, I'm thinking, uh oh, warning, warning, maybe time to audible out of the deck. Is is that going on for you there with mutate? Or are you just trusting that Great Horn is powerful enough with fixing that you're going to get enough uncommon payoffs? Well, the other thing that that I think you're you're not taking into account with the start that you've described here is that I don't have to then just be like all in dealer on mutate. I can just pick up greater sandworms and honey mammoth and think about great horn as my rampant growth piece to get to those cards faster. You know, I can now I can splash 
a back for more that I see. And now I can just take all the sandworms and lava serpents and phantasaurs that I want. Like Greathorn gives you a lot of flexibility outside of going all in on mutate. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So that's that's my that's my spiel on the mutate deck. I feel like I'm alone on my mutate island as like you and Alex and Beers and everybody <laughs> else poo-poos the deck. But I it's I don't know. Maybe it, I think it may be just also aligns with like what I like to do. Like Beers was on limited level ups last week and he was saying like if mutate was the best thing to do in the format, I think I would not be doing as well in the format because that's just like not a thing I like to do. And it is like that mechanic and that style of deck and it being base green and splashing, that is what I like to do. Right. I think that's certainly coming into play there. And I think we don't I I at least speaking for myself, I don't think the deck's bad. I just am fighting getting into it harder than you are and i don't think that's wrong i just think because of where you're picking great horn and because of how you're looking at it you're going to end up mutate more often than i am yeah i agree all right well let's uh let's dive into talking about green and blues commons and where and what our thoughts are on them in terms of where they belong in, in certain decks yeah for sure so we're going to look at cards in different categories um, and we laid this out the last time but first category is going to be good in every deck and those that doesn't necessarily mean those are the best commons just that they're very flexible and a lot of times they provide you know a role in each deck top tier which are almost always included but maybe some slight considerations in draft deck building and a lot of the top tier are going to be just in this format in a specific deck, they're top tier in that specific deck. Mm-hmm. And then contextual are cards that vary a lot based on, you know, how your draft went, your deck building, what you're trying to do. And then there's filler, which are, you know, what it says. Those are filler. You're not happy to have them in your deck. And then unplayable or sideboard cards. So kicking things off in green. You, I, I got to give you this this category, Ben. You'll be happy to, to, to say this. Good in every deck. Not sure there are any LOL. And I would just like the world to know that that was typed by Mr. Ethan Sachs and not me. <laughs> yes. So I think if I were making this list myself, I would put Greathorn in that category. But I know that you have had success with non-mutate green decks. And so that would lead you to not put Greathorn as good in every deck, right? Yes, I would agree. Great, Greathorn would be top tier for me. But I, I also was thinking while we were having the Greathorn debate is I don't have a green pick order. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like <laughs> none of them. I don't want to be green so much that like I haven't th- I don't care <laughs> which cards are better than the other. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I agree that green is the worst color, but I do not have the disdain for it that you and, and a lot of the world <laughs> seem to share. I don't know. But that's the thing. I draft green like I will draft green. They just don't. It gets, I don't way believe more, you. Takes, I'm not sure I can believe that statement. I have drafted green a lot on stream on Arena lately. I swear, I have, promise. People in Twitch chat can verify. All right, so moving on to... uh to top tier here. And I think, you know, a lot of these cards are, are probably close to good in every deck, but there are just some like slight, slight considerations. So first up is Ram Through. I, the only th- reason this is not in good in every deck for me is that I th- have drafted green Vigilance decks a fair amount, um, which folks still seem to not think is the truth, but Vigilance is the truth in this format. And Ram Through is just quite bad in that deck because at a certain point, you look at your deck at the end of the draft and you've got like four creatures with power three or greater and ram through is just going to be terrible in that deck yeah i I think you could make a case for ram through to be in the filler category honestly it's really not good removal i think it's you know we've been down on pacifism capture sphere i think it's worse than both of those cards you you can't cast it into open mana it requires you to have a creature on board you can get blown out you know to kill something meaningful you have to have a honey mammoth or some other similarly large creature on the battlefield 
I don't know. I'm pretty down on RAM through these days. And one of the incentives as we're talking about, if if the migratory greathorn is the crux of the argument or the crux of the green decks, as I believe it to be, you're splashing for better removal. Like that's one of the advantages is you get to play Blood Curdle and Heartless Act and Fire Prophecy in these decks if you want to. And so you just don't have time for Ram Through. I think I think Ram Through is a thorough C. Yeah, I think that's true. So next up is Great Horn. We've talked enough about that card, I would say. Uh, Almighty Brushwag. I think this is a great mutate target and a great mana sink late game. But, you know, there are going to be some decks. I think the Vigilance deck, for example, or perhaps a, a reanimate deck that doesn't care about mutating and just cares about not dying is perhaps not interested in a one mana one one. Right. You want Brushwag in a deck that cares about mutate and I think the Zerda cycling deck. And I think there's also a home for it in a heavy red green trample archetype, right? If you've got the proud wild bonder and Almighty Brushwag is all of a sudden an unblockable fireball, that's really powerful, right? I've seen that out of my opponents a couple times. Red, green, and blue-white are the decks that continue to evade me. I I don't think I'm going to get into those decks like basically ever, it feels like. Yeah, it's tough. You just don't have a lot of incentive to do so because it's so much, it's so doable to get into the more powerful decks so consistently. Yeah. Essence Symbiotes up next. This is a good mutate enabler. This is not premium for me anymore as far as mutate enablers go like either i would have i would have thought like you're you know you're you're picking this in one of the first eight picks i'm happy to try to wheel an essence symbiote and if it doesn't wheel i'm not super bummed about it it's it feels less standout-ish among cards that enable mutate than i would have originally thought yeah like i said the delta between aegis turtle and polywog symbiote is pretty large but then everything else in the middle is like Whatever. If you don't get Essence Symbiote, then you get a Brushwag. Then you get a Mysterious Egg. Like, you're still getting your plus one plus one counter when you mutate onto the Mysterious Egg. You're just not getting your life. Like, it just doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. Right. And I would say, I think you really don't care between Essence Symbiote and Brushwag. Is that true? I, I would, would I like to have one of each rather than like two of one? Yeah. But no, again, it just doesn't matter. I think, and Brushwag stands on its own as a card more. Yes, exactly. Right. Whereas Essence Symbiote could just be a bear. And last, but certainly not least on the top tier list. Honey Mammoth. Ooh, baby. Big body, life boost. What's not to like? All right, let's look at most contextual here, Ben. I feel like I still need to, I feel like I need to take the lead on these because I do, are these cards even in your collection at this point? Oh, yeah. I, I am all about Moscow Goriak. I'm all about the best non-green common, Greater Sandworm. <laughs> yeah. So Moscow Goriak, let's talk about that. That's just like, it's. we were talking about this, I feel like in my Twitch chat a couple days ago. It's just like a good card. I think I think you could make a case for Moscow Goriak to be in the good in every deck category. Yeah. So I'm hoping to like skip three in, a, in my mutate decks is sort of my feeling. But I agree. Like, you know, it's just a good a two four for three with vigilance is a good body. It's a great body. Yeah. And I think so it's it's stand out in those vigilance decks and the stats line up very well to brick wall your opponent's offense, which is very much what the non mutate green decks want to do. They just want to gum up the ground and slow the game down and not die. And I think Moscow Goriak really does a good job of that for those decks. Right. Like the best three drop for the Kruga decks, a great card in the Vigilance Matters decks. Just like, yeah, gumming up that ground real good. Humble Naturalist also on this list. So this is the one in green one three that ramps uh, for creatures and fixes for creatures. I have not found great homes for this. I think it does, it does its best job in the companion decks. Yeah, it does a really good job in the companion decks, like ramping you to the expensive companions like Karuga, or I guess not Karuga, but like Garuda. You know, those companion decks are often mana hungry, even if you think about like a Lutri deck, even though it's only three mana, like you're often hoping to deploy that to copy a three CMC or a four CMC spell. And ramping you into Omori and fixing in the Omori decks. Yeah, for sure. Um, so... If you're a heavy creature deck, it's hard for me to imagine Naturalist 
not being in the deck, but I have it as most contextual because of its tension with mutate because it is a two drop that you cannot mutate onto. That's what I was going to ask. Do you play it in those great horn decks? I'm hoping to not. If I can ideally sculpt these best mutate stack decks, Humble Naturalist does not belong in those decks. But if I have a mutate package in a green deck, or if I'm not getting there with fixing with great horns, but I'm getting there with fixing with naturalists, and I'm trying to ramp into a honey mammoth, that's a great two drop for me. Yeah. So Fertile is next on this list. This card is just not good fixing. I, th- I think it's you should hope to not play Fertilid in most of your green decks. I don't think you want to mutate onto it. I don't think the two counters is enough of an appeal as far as mutating. I think if you're spending, you know, casting this on three and then, you know, rampant growing on four, that's awkward. And then you're only able to play a two drop. Maybe you only get to use the rampant growth effect that turn. You don't get to spend the other two mana. It's just tough. I really have not liked that card. It's before your very eyes, Ben. Did you see what I just did? I did. You moved it down to filler. I love it. Yeah, I think that's true. It's it's really just like everything you're saying is is right. You don't want to mutate onto it. I feel like the the best case scenario for Fertilid is you play it on three, and then on turn four, you're going block and then rampant growth, rampant growth, and then you have something cool to do on turn five with seven mana. That's the best case scenario for that card. That scenario does not come up almost ever. Right. And every other scenario is not good. You got Flycatcher Giraffid here in most contextual. Talk to me about that. Vigi baby. And are you, I, I still have not been excited by yeah, the it's, old it's, Flycatcher Giraffid. It's still probably filler. Filler in the Vigi deck. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that, that leaves us with really just four cards in most contextual. Naturalist, Moscow Goriak, Greater Sandworm as like good to ramp into really best as you're calling it a black card because it's best as a reanimate target. And then Survivor's Bond, which I, I really like. It's very, very powerful in some decks. And then it's just raised dead in other decks. And in the decks where it's just raised dead, that's not what you want. But in, again, I'll talk about the Vigilance deck. In those Vigilance decks where you've got Alert Heed Bonder plus Keensight Mentor plus Main Servals to get back, that's really powerful. When you've got Humble Naturalist plus Garuda to get back, that's very powerful. Like Survivor's Bond is a very swingy card and I think really belongs in this most contextual part of the, the list. I agree. I Survivor's Bond, I think, is a hidden gem of green cards. It's it's one of the cards that's moved up the most for me as I've drafted these don't die green decks. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you said. You know, if you're in the Vigilance deck and you're rebuying like a Heed Bonder and a Honey Mammoth, game's over on the spot. Yes. So looking at filler, we talked about Giraffid and Fertilid. I actually, I like Adventurous Impulse in this format way more than I ever have, um, mostly because I feel like a lot of other decks get to reduce their land count because of their cycling cards. Green doesn't really get to do that. And green is often prone to flooding because of so much of what it's doing is ramping or pulling lands out of the deck that I think Adventurous Impulse replacing your last land is usually really good when you've got a heavy creature deck like, you know, 16 plus creatures. Adventurous Impulse replacing a land, I think, is a fine place to be. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Bristling Moor is up next. Four mana, four, three. This card is fine. Can let you beat down, can let you leverage removal, like is is good in a deck with some ram throughs maybe. But yeah, nothing special. Yeah. And like everyone talked about, like, oh, Blood Curdle and Bristling Boar. Uh, Bristling Boar is so, is like the definition of filler to me. I, I really feel like, I don't know if I've talked about this on, on the show before. I've definitely talked about this on stream. This format feels to me like cube in the sense of I'm very aware of the split of three CMC or less and four CMC or more. I don't think we've talked about that on the show. In cube, like everything powerful to do in cube is four CMC or more. And like, you know, that's where you get all the good planeswalkers. And so you, you don't need to prioritize those cards because there's so many of them. What's really important is being able to like have a good curve up to whatever those cards you get. And I do really feel like in this format, it's very similar of like, 
I want my setup cards and my payoff cards, or I want to like be setting up the board with my Valiant Rescuer into my Prickly Marmoset, and then I'm cycling, 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 or I want to be setting up with my Mutate Enablers and my Mutate Creatures or whatever, or my Sack Fodder and then my Bushmeat Poacher. And I just like, Bristling Board doesn't fit into any of those things for me. Excavation Mole is up next, two and a green for the three through Trample, and my ETBs, you mill three. This poor guy doesn't even feel good in the Reanimator deck somehow. I think it's because it's kind of like an aggressively statted card. Yeah, but those de- those decks want to block and this does such a worse job of blocking than Mosscoat Goriak. I don't know. Yeah, I think the, we got a couple of combat tricks here up next. Fully grown and sudden spinnerets. These are like fine to include or not include. It doesn't really matter. Obviously, I guess you want fully grown in the trample deck, but I just like never get into that deck. Yeah, you want fully grown or spontaneous flight when you've got like the green honey mammoth deck. Like you want some way for honey mammoth to be a bigger threat that can't be chumped. So I like including those cards when I've got honey mammoth. Sudden spinnerets I'm all about in best of one. I'm on the sudden spinnerets train, baby. It's just so like people can't play around it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's good in best of one, I think. And then wilt we've got here also um very good i think you really want a main deck the first copy in every green deck i i could if you could make a case for wilt this could be the only good in every deck green card i could be i think it's i think that's true i think Wilt the first copy of wilt in a green deck is actively good yeah and then unplayable slash sideboard we've got thwart the enemy in the first category and plummet in the second category i don't what happened with thwart the enemy in this format then it's just not what the format's about right it's not about jamming creatures into each other and i think you know you can bring it in specifically in like green mirrors i think thwart really shines out of the sideboard you know like if you've got some green black mirror going on where you're coming up the ground and eventually somebody's going to attack with a lot of creatures but it just the situation where the card was a blowout doesn't come up much because of how the format plays out yeah all right what's going on with blue all right we've got good in every deck first up we've got essence scatter and capture sphere i think capture sphere as a one of in every blue deck i think is pretty good and there's times capture sphere is really annoying you know if you're not against a mutate deck there's times that capture sphere is better than putting their creature in the graveyard because they want to reanimate it or something it is embarrassing against mardu sacrifice decks it is uh, yeah that's true so th- there's yeah i think that the one of is probably a good call and there are times you won't play it if you've got a streamlined deck and there are times like ben said i mean if you are in a flash deck or a deck that wants to operate at instant speed very much capture spheres are going to get better in multiples yeah essence scatter also here i think you want you know, as many essence scatters as you can get, probably somewhere in the three to four range, I guess, is where I'd be happy playing them. There is, you know, a certain point where you fall behind or it gets embarrassed by Whisper Squad that there's some tension there. But I think it's generically good enough in the format that trading two mana for very powerful creatures that are running around is still a premium effect. The only deck that I've found it to be really bad against is the cycling deck, where they can often just go like two drop, three drop before you get to hold up the scatter mana and then everything else just like operates around this counter spell yeah that makes sense and in tops here we've sort of got two splits of cards and these are splits of cards that are best in respective archetypes so glimmer bell and dreamtail heron are best in mutate decks and outside of that are not great so speaking of mutate we didn't we didn't talk about this much i don't love dreamtail heron in general in the format anymore and i don't really love it in mutate do you have any any thoughts on that because we've talked enough about mutate i feel like i'm my short answer is i agree with you it, it is one of the least exciting common mutate creatures in my opinion all right great so those two cards i think are, are best in the mutate deck and then the other two cards we've got here are frostville ambush and startling development as 
the one CMC cyclers that blue has to offer as best in a cycling deck, best in a spells matter deck, best in a care about drawing cards deck. Yeah, I think you're pretty happy with both of those cards in any blue deck almost. And they're so good in blue red spells, right? Mm -hmm. Startling development as a combat trick or a cycler and Frostvale ambush when you're casting it most of the time wins the game. So there's such free includes, right? And they really shine in a blue red spells deck. Love both of those cards. Yeah, like everything I said was only about like half of the card, the half of the card that says pay one draw card to discard it. Like the fact that you can actually cast them as relevant spells in the game just pumps them up so much more. I mean, like startling development, your spell leader Wolverine, like to do eight, man, there's so much good stuff going on. For sure. Most contextual is our next category. We've got Frostlinks and Thieving Otter as the two creatures here in this category. Frostlinks I have not loved. I know some people are pretty high on Frostlinks in the format. It's fine to me. I'd be fine moving it to filler, honestly. I, but there but there are good players, I think, that like Frostlinks a fair amount, I, which makes me wonder if I'm missing something. But I'm not thrilled about it as a mutate target as a three drop. I think it's not really what you... I mean, I guess in blue-red, it, it works, but it's not a card you're prioritizing. I don't know. I don't know what the home is, really. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, I'm with you. I think Thieving Otter has a bit more stuff going on with Porky Parrot, with Dreamtail Heron. If you have, I haven't drafted this deck personally. I know Ryan Sachs was all about the the science for Otter deck for a while on Twitter. You know, that you draw draft this sort of red-blue tempo deck with Reconnaissance Mission or whatever. But Thieving Otter, I think, just does, does have applications, but you want to make sure that you're maximizing it. Yeah, I think that's fine. And you, you want ways to interact with your opponent's creatures. But again, sometimes you can just ignore your opponent drawing two cards a turn, which is absurd. <laughs> my, my biggest problem with Thieving Otter is that it forces you to be the beatdown, basically no matter what the state of the game dictates. And that, 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 that puts me in such an awkward spot in some games. Yeah, I agree. Next up as spells, most contextual, we've got Of One Mine and Gust of Wind. Gust of Wind, I basically only want if I've got you know, five to six fairly cheap flyers in my deck. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not as I think you and I are not as high on this card as the rest of the world of one mind. I've come around to quite a bit, and that has to do mostly with me really understanding how good forbidden friendship is in the format. Yeah, that curve is sick. Yeah, or or the or the old sprite dragon into forbidden friendship plus of one mind on turn three. Oh, my God, that's so good. Yeah. Have you done that? I have not done that, no. Ooh, yeah. You're missing out. All right. Well, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm get, I'm on the blue-red train now for sure. Moving on to filler, we've got Facet Reader here. We had a pretty big discussion about this off-stream last yesterday about whether this was good in every blue deck or most contextual or filler. Like, I think most blue decks want one Facet Reader. Yes, I agree. So basically, my feeling about the format is there are no mana sinks, and beyond six lands, you don't really need any of your lands. And so if the games are going to the mid to late game, you're going to flood and facet reader really helps that. And then tack on the fact that like it helps trigger your ominouses, whatever gets spells into your graveyard for spell reader Wolverine. Like, I don't know. It's, it's got a lot of cool applications. Ominouses isn't doing it for me these days. It's still good, but it is not the Ooh, baby windmill slam build around card because if you, if you build your deck around it and you don't have it in your opener, what does your deck do? Right. It's I agree. That's a good way to phrase it. It's still a good card, but it's not it's not on the Bastion weaponized tier of build around. No, not at all. Next up, Aegis Turtle. You're hoping basically to never put this card in your deck, I think, but can do it in a huge pinch in the mutate decks. Right. If I've got like a parcel beast, this is when I'm like, all right, if I can if I don't end up with 
a swag or an egg, I'm not embarrassed to put Aegis Turtle in the deck because of that potential curve out. Anticipates up next. This is playable in blue-red spells, and I think probably not much outside of that. Yeah, I've got like just situational cards, Convolute, like expensive counterspell, Crustacean, Flash 1-6 that like really you just want to play in like a Karuga deck or a Flash deck. Hampering Snare is a 2CMC cycler most of the time. I think Hampering Snare has some some serious applications against the go-wide decks as well. Yeah, that's fair. Hampering Snare countering a coordinated charge or blowing out someone on an attack. I think it's real mm-hmm. in, in blue decks that can cast it. Yes, I agree. Phase Dolphin's up next, the 1-4 that can make something else unblockable. Again, like you don't really want to mutate onto this. I, I'm hoping to never put Phase Dolphin in my deck, basically. Yeah. And then last on the list is Wingfold Terran, which is, you know, if you it's fine top end, but I think it seems to me based on how folks suggest it for my blue decks on stream that the rest of the world is too high on this card. It is the, the definition of filler. Yeah, I think you're hoping not to start it. It does do a lot of work out of the sideboard against the decks that are super removal heavy. Mm-hmm. And I think against cycling decks that really want to tap your board down with Snare Tactician. It's a brick wall against some decks in the format. And last on this list in our unplayable sideboard category is Keep Safe, which I would say is yeah probably most correct to be out of the sideboard against removal heavy decks. But I also have found myself, if I have a deck you know, I keep talking about the flash deck with Slitherwisp. If I have a deck that's built around a card that I need to protect to function, uh, and then I'm going to be happy running a keep safe. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And again, you know, talking about pick orders, I, I don't think there are great pick orders for blue. It's also like the commons all fluctuate so much based on, you know, the first four to five picks of your draft that I don't think it's worth spending a lot of mental energy on. This is why tier lists don't interest me at all. I mean, it's again, like the the the, the overlap of content that it seems people want to consume versus content I want to create. Tier lists are not there, especially in a set like this, where everything is all over the place, especially in a set like this, where you and I, what what is this week four of the format, week five of the format? are not in agreement. It It feels like this format is like two years old. I know. Well, I think you're probably playing a lot more because of the lockdown than you would normally be. Yeah. But just like you and I are not on the same page about a lot of pick orders, I think, in the format. Like even to this day, we're looking at draft logs of each other and going, I would have done this, 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 instead of what you did was this, 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 this. I think that's because the cards can fluctuate based on a how you value them yes like the just that like the singular way that you're valuing great horn changes the value of so many other cards right yeah 100 percent. and so i think that's why that's happening because value the the format's so synergistic that changing your pick order for a card or, or how high not even like a pick order but how highly you're willing to take a card drastically fluctuates the value of other cards that work well or don't work well with that singular card yeah i agree and i that's why again like i said last week i'm excited to get to continue to talk about this format i'm excited next week to break down the mardu decks and the mardu commons because i think there's going to be a lot more great fodder for discussion there absolutely 100 that's a great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. You can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. You can check out all of our goodies, all of our stuff, even that aforementioned tier list on our website, lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, please shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for hanging out, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.